Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 372, recorded February 20th, 2024, and I'm Michael Kennedy. And I'm Brian Aachen. This episode is brought to you by Scout APM. Super psyched to have them supporting the show. So we'll tell you more about them later, but please check them out. The link is in the podcast player show notes or on the website. If you are one of the lucky ones, Brian, who is attending this live, they got here by going to pythonbytes.fm slash live, crushing the bell, saying get notified. They got notified when this, this comes on, when it's scheduled, and here they are. For those of you who are just listening, we super appreciate that anyway. So how are we listening? Thank you, thank you. Uh, connect with us over on Mastodon. We're all on Fossidon, at Brian Aachen, at M. Kennedy, at, and at Python Bytes. Brian, before we uh, jump into the, the news and before I forget, I just want to make a quick announcement. I will be at PyCon Philippines starting. I leave tomorrow at, I, I fly from Portland to San Francisco at 8 p.m. And then I leave San Francisco at midnight. So who knows what I'm, what state I'm going to be in, but I'm pretty sure with the time zone change and the travels and all this, there's not going to be a Python Bytes next week. So we're going to be uh, probably skipping next week, which is a good chance for people to catch up if they caught, they fell behind. Yeah. And also I'm jealous and I hope you have a great time. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm going to have a great time. I'm worked, I was writing the, the keynote speech yesterday and it's going to be good. It's coming together nicely. So nice. it's always nerve wracking. I don't know how, what is your, what is your way of working on Spocks and stuff? Like I, I want to be prepared and I'm the kind of person that would get prepared a month or two months early. But then if I write the stuff and then put it away and then come back to it, I've kind of lost the inspiration and the nuances and the details. So I don't want to write it too soon, but I also don't want to wait till the last minute. So there's this weird, weird trade off. I, I feel I mostly I try I usually try to cover too much stuff in talks so I try to mm -hmm. pare it down and then mm -hmm. yeah I practice the heck out of it uh, the ones where some some talks I like am fiddling with the slides too much until like five minutes beforehand and that goes terribly so I I yeah I like to do it early in practice so all right well over to you I know you have a big announcement yeah I you're coming to first yeah you are okay am I am I first yeah so uh, I'm pretty excited. Um, uh, the folks at Astral, uh, including Charlie Marsh and others, um, have released UV, a Python packaging. It's Python packaging in Rust, and it's um, it's not another packaging tool. Um, it is the Python end. So, uh, like replacing um, this is actually incredible. It's a uh, it's replacing uh, pip pip tools and virtual amp all in one new uh, Rust driven tool. Um, the, it, their announcement said maybe um, UV represents a milestone in our pursuit of cargo for Python, a comprehensive Python project and package manager that's fast, reliable, and easy to use. Um, they're also kind of, it's interesting, kind of combined in this announcement is that they're taking, Astral is taking stewardship of Armin Roenicker's Rye tool. That's an experimental tool. So I'm not sure what that has to do with this, but I don't know. It's interesting. Um, but uh, have you given this a try yet? Oh, yes. <laughs> I am so psyched about this. Charlene team, congratulations, because this this is setting the world on fire in a lot of interesting ways. Um, so I, you know, Charlie aimed this right at like my style of programming and working with Python dependencies and projects. So on one hand, we have just the pip, pip-free side, right? And then on the other, you've got the poetry and other um, pip env where you've got like some other API that kind of manages everything. And 
I want some of the benefits of that, but I want it to be just a simple requirements.txt or something like that in the end, right? Yeah. And so I use pip tools and pip tools will go and say, okay, what do you say you actually need? And then let's build out a, the, what would be into the virtual environment after that. And it's great, but you know, the command pip compile, like for mine, I don't know how long it takes, probably 15 seconds to pip compile, update the list of things yeah. for talk Python training. I think there's 250 dependencies in the dev version. It's out of control. Yeah. And it just takes a real, real long time with this instant. Yeah. And Super it's just so good. You, they have uh, some benchmarks up there and it's like pip sync versus UV pip sync is like 60 milliseconds versus almost five seconds, right? Those are different types. It's, it just happens versus UA. You go, okay, hold on. Do, 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 do. It's working. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what's really pretty interesting is that it looks like it's gotten a lot of, it's it's not necessarily that it's just because it's written in rough, <laughs> rough, rust, <laughs> reading rough as I'm saying that, not just that it's written in rust, which it happens to be because that's the, the vibe of astral, right? Starting with right. the rough stuff, but that they've maybe unlocked some different algorithms or techniques or or something like that, where even if it were in Python, it would be faster, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, there's a, there's some caching that they've done and um, of like site wide caching and keeping also keeping pip um, actually makes sense to have some of this stuff virtual env and and pip outside of the Python tool chain system, so that um, because you're going to want it in each virtual environment, so having it uh, installed outside is kind of interesting. So um, yeah, I'm pretty. Uh, it's super fast. Um, the The hope is to be uh, API compatible or at least uh, interface compatible. It's um, in the they're they just don't have all of the features yet. So, um, but like I'm, I don't mean to say <laughs> that it's not worth trying already. It is production ready right now, and that's what they're they've t tested the heck out of it. It's just that um, you have to like work with your workflow to make sure that you work with it. So, um, I was amusingly trying it out yesterday and ran into like three things right away that or two things that didn't work. So I did uh tried to use the dash dash prompt to have uh virtual am just create my virtual environment with the same name. Um and prompt isn't supported yet, but it is. I went to file a defect and it was already fixed. It just hasn't been released yet. So you know nice. probably, yeah, probably nice. by the time you listen to this it's probably been released and it, it'll work. They're doing um, a lot of releases, aren't they? Yeah. There's been seven releases in four days. It's incredible and a really responsive team. A lot of people are trying it out though. So um, yeah, uh, I'm glad they're responsive because there's a bunch of issues people are working on. Um, mm -hmm. It's really fun to watch. The other thing uh, was, um, oh, um, oh, so virtual environments work, work really fast. It's like so fast. Um, and the resolver actually is something we don't really talk about too much, um, but the resolver like you said when you're pip installing something if you have like a requirements file you got a bunch of projects in it or a bunch of things you're pulling in dependencies they might have conflicting dependencies or not really conflicting but they're the rules are such that you have to pick the right dependency so that it matches both tools um that's all done and it's super fast i'm really impressed with how this thing is um and <laughs> and apparently everybody else is too um because <laughs> yeah like, like it <laughs> almost almost immediately after the announcement so look at all these contributors we got 32 contributors already um uh, these are not just people at astral like uh, i know that brett is not there so um uh talks has already announced that there is a talks dash uv uh plug so that you can have talks 
act faster too and use UV for virtual env and for pip and also so it makes it faster. Um, I think that's there's a, and I'm sure there's more tools to come that support will support UV out of the box. So yeah, awesome. I'm super excited, but I have a bunch of um, aliases for my shell that I almost never type pip, you know, Python dash mv like. I, unless I'm doing like some presentation where I'm not sure that people would know what the heck's going on. So I'll just type VNV and that will do the magic or want to activate environments AE or, you know, I want to install yeah. the requirements. I'll say PIR, right? And I rewrote all of those to move from using PIP to using UV. And it's basically like the same workflow for me, just better. Uh, well, the, one of the things that I do a lot is to just see what's in my virtual environment is do a PIP list. Um, and that's not supported yet either. <laughs> but freeze is, and list is coming. Um, I, I, you know, but so just use freeze. Yeah. I, I uh, didn't I, actually. I just for some reason, I think there's like a fifty-fifty split of people that use generally pip freeze over list. What, are you a freeze person or a list person? I'm a list person these days, uh, okay. but but that's because yeah, because I don't use pip freeze to generate like the requirements.txt. I use pip pip compile. Right. right, but, right, but right, pip right. freeze will just like list out which what things you have installed and what versions. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I want list for. So I don't know why I use list, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Pretty fun. Yeah. Okay. A couple of pieces of real time follow up. First of all, Ofec Lev from Hatch says the next minor release of Hatch will have an option to use UV under the hood instead of pip and virtual ENV. Hooray! Yeah, I love Hatch. I've been doing like doing a lot of stuff with Hatch lately, and it's really, really nice. So, perfect. You're killing it. Keep it up. Very nice. And you you mentioned talks. Henry Schreiner, who I see some comments from him out there as well, says, um, with the Knox backend, uh, using UV in the Knox backend, it drops the time taken to build the docs from 22 seconds to four seconds. So, wow. you know, that's, you know, it's not like 22 seconds is going to change the world. Like, oh, if they just didn't take 22 seconds to build the docs, but the faster these things get, the more willing you're just like to do them more iteratively and, you know, get tighten that feedback loop and stuff like that. So like, for example, with rough, you know, and, and PyCharm, now you can just check the box, like run, run um, rough onto the, into this project when I hit save, you know, if it took five seconds to do that, you would never check that. That would not even be a box you could check. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> because it's so fast. So. Uh, hopefully I'm not missing anything else from folks out there, but this stuff is this stuff really neat and I am super excited. I would love if some of the the things they learned from this could be brought back into standard PIP just to make standard PIP faster too. That would still be cool. Yeah. And that is I guess that brings up a side question is um is really how uh how much energy there's gonna be around supporting the other tools that are getting replaced by things that Astral's building. But there's a yeah. Anyway, we'll have that yeah. conversation later, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, OFAC agrees with you that much of the speed up comes from the way they're they're doing caching. Very, very nice. So, you know, people check this out. It's been a few days and it's things are going fast in this space. So, yeah, very, very exciting. Let's go on to the next topic. All right, Brian, Jupyter Notebooks have definitely taken over as a really interesting way for creating well, writing Python code, visualizing Python code, sharing it, communicating with it. And obviously, Will McGugan's work with Rich and then on from there, Textual is doing amazing stuff too, right? Yeah. What if those came together, like peanut butter and jelly or whatever it is that you put together that goes together well? So, peanut David, butter and chocolate, man. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Reese's Pieces. I got it. Okay. 
David Brochart says, I just published my first blog post, uh, which is, if we go over here, JP term, Jupiter in the terminal built on textual and rich. How yeah, cool is that? That's great. Yeah, that's, <laughs> there's a bunch of terminal fun stuff that's based on the, this uh, textual and other things uh, that we could cover, but this is what I'm covering today. I'll save the other for next time. So Jupiter in the terminal, and it says, well, you know, basically, David says, look, the terminal is the new browser in the sense that we all have a terminal. And if we write to this, it's kind of a, a simple, cool UI that everybody already has. You can just plug stuff into it, largely because of all the work that they've done over at Textualize with Textual and Rich and so on. All right. So he said, look, look at all these uh, widgets we already have. So like, there's a select widget <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of others. But if we view this, I'll open a new tab. Uh, maybe open image in a new tab. Um, oh, it's downloading. Hold on. Because of course it is. <laughs> uh, open this up. It's Jupiter Lab side by side with JP Term. And check it out. It's like you've got your cells, you've got your in your bracket and quite similar, huh? What do you think about this? That's incredible. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's got, uh, let me go back to the article here. You go down, it's got graphing. It's got like charts. <laughs> for it. And he says basically one of the, the real similar things to compare it to might be Jupyter Lite, because Jupyter Lite is a WebAssembly based all front end Jupyter. And this is like client doesn't even need a server, right? Because it just runs. Although he does point out with textual web realize is uh, a way to put this on the internet and share it as well. But like here, look, here's a bunch of cool graphs over time in the terminal. Yeah. So this is a super early almost a proof of concept it even has images. Uh, which is interesting. So I think <laughs> terrible, uh, people though, should don't do that. They, they're bad. Yeah. <laughs> like you want, if, if you long for like Commodore 64 days, oh, so you got something in store for you, but you can go, it's, you can see it's quite new. Uh, it's just been, uh, you know, created like four months ago and just announced, I think pretty recently. So people go check this out. Um, David is, uh, uh, I think a Jupiter core dev, or at least a contributor over there. So yeah. Uh, interesting to see where this goes. Yeah, that's neat. Cool. You know what else is cool? Our sponsor. Yes. <laughs> indeed, indeed they are. So let me tell you real quick about Doubt APM. They're big supporters of Python Bytes, so we appreciate that very much. So if you are tired of spending hours trying to find the root cause of issues impacting your performance, then you owe it to yourself to check out Scout APM. They're a leading Python application performance monitoring tool, APM that helps you identify and solve performance abnormalities faster and easier. Scout APM ties bottlenecks such as memory leaks, slow database queries, background jobs, and the dreaded N plus one queries that you can end up if you do lazy loading in your ORM, then you say, oh no, <laughs> why is it so slow? Why are you doing 200 database queries for what should be one? So you can find out things like that. And it links it back directly to source code so you can spend less time in the debugger and healing logs and just finding the problems and moving on. And you'll love it because it's built for developers by developers. It makes it easy to get set up. Seriously, you can do it in less than four minutes. So that's awesome. And the best part is the pricing is straightforward. You only pay for the data that you use with no hidden overage fees or per seat pricing. And I just learned this, Brian. They also have, they provide the pro version for free to all open source projects. So if you're an open source maintainer and you want to have Scout APM for that project, just shoot them a message or something on their pricing page about that. So you can start your free trial and get instant insights today. 
Visit pythonbytes.fm/scout. The link is in your podcast player show notes as well. And please use that link. Don't just search for them because otherwise they don't think you came from us. And then they'd stop supporting the show. So please use our link, pythonbytes.fm/scout. Check them out. It really supports the show. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Over to you. What's um, next? I've got a little little topic. Um, uh, Martin Hines wrote a blog post called "Everything Everything You Can Do with the." Python's text wrap module. And I love the text wrap module. And I think that more people, I think a lot of people just forget about it, but it's very know, Brian, do you have that feeling where like you spent half a day implementing some algorithm, then you're like, oh, that was a function I could have just called? Yeah, text exactly. Text wrap is that. Yeah. Um, there's, and you know, every time I come back to it, I'm like, oh, I'm still using stuff that I shouldn't. So uh, uh, I'm gonna, it's a pretty short article. I'll go through a few of the features of text wrap. Uh, first off, it's shortened. So if you've got, if you want to make a, a piece of text shorter, um, you can use shorten. And it's cool because it also does a placeholder thing. So it'll put like, um, like uh, dot, dot, dots and, and brackets or something or whatever placeholder you want to say there's more text there. It's just we've cut it off. Um, and uh, looks really nice, uh, easy to easy to use. You just call it uh, to just a function. But then there's, um, there's wrap. Uh, which seems obvious, but um, can do word wrapping. You can split a long, uh, a long chunk of text into multiple lines, um, but you can also do it. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I, I like here is it says, uh, said, well, yes, of course you can use it for splitting long lines into, into different multiple lines, but also even if you're not going to print it like that, um, it's very useful if you're going to batch that batch work on text, you can uh, split a big chunk of text into small or, you know, even sized batches to work on those. Um, that's a pretty cool use case for that. I like it. Uh, there is, there's even, um, you can specify drop white, white space keyword for that. That's pretty cool. I didn't know about that. Neat. Um, the, there is a, there's a class also. So all a lot of the stuff you can do with uh, text wrap you can do within a um, an object. So there's a text wrapper class that you can create a text wrapper object and uh, do a whole bunch of work with that multiple times um, and only specify it once in the constructor. Very cool. And then at the bottom, last but not least, is my favorite use of text wrap is dedent. So um, uh, dedent will take, like if you've got a multi-line string um, and it's in your code, so it's all like off, uh, it, you know, it's indented with the rest of your code. That multi-line will have a whole bunch of extra, like extra white space on the left. And you don't really want that um, when you're actually using it. And dedent will take, take out those extra, uh, extra left white space. And that, I love that. And this seems like it's a weird thing to have built in. Uh, but I use it a whole bunch of times, whole, all, often in writing tests, because I've got um, a multi-line string that I want to compare to some output. Um, and I don't want it at the global level. I want it, you know, um, in my in my test function. So uh, I can just do that and use dedent to get it back to. Right. Because it would look weird indented. left aligned inside of an indented function, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you can. It just looks ugly. So, yeah, you just you lose the, the flow of where where it belongs yeah <laughs> yeah so uh text wrap um it's there it's fun use it you already have it it's in python yeah yeah very nice all right let's let's talk uh, about some design principles for the web here this is not exactly python but it certainly links back to some cool things in python and it's this place i ran across called html-first.com right and the idea is they're 
seems to be some fatigue. Like, you know how JavaScript, it used to be so easy, you would include a script, or if you were doing something super small, you maybe just say script tag, and you would write a bit of JavaScript right in the page, and then you carry on, you're like, oh, that was easy, look, that just worked. And then it said, oh, well, now we're gonna put it over on this other place. No, we wanna like minify it, and also we're gonna shake it down to only include the parts that we use, and we'll do the same for the CSS. And then you need this build step, and then we're gonna compile it from TypeScript to, to JavaScript and then shake it down to not include this, like what? And then you're gonna, in, you know, include it with um, import, export it with node. You're just like, what is, why is this so hard? Why are there so many steps to uh, this thing that used to be so easy, right? And so this is kind of like, could we just not have that as like the default way of working <laughs> already? So HTML, uh, HTML, we'll get the HTML. HTML first is a set of guidelines for making it easier, faster, and more maintainable to build web software by leveraging the default capabilities of modern browsers. I learned something I didn't know from here that I used to do with JavaScript that I will never do again if I don't have to. So awesome. And then the extreme simplicity of HTML's attribute syntax and you know keeping your view source alive, right? You used to be able to go to the website, like how did they do that? That's cool, view source. Now it's just like one tiny line of like a bunch of stuff that triggers JavaScript stuff. And you're like, oh, well, all right. Or how did they do that? Oh, it's a bunch of divs. Um, yes, exactly. And so the goal is, you know, try to widen the pool of people who enjoy web development. Also, you can make it less expensive for your company because it's just less complex. So it's not just, you know, dev yells at the cloud because people are <laughs> making it hard, right? It screams it into the sky, but some practices, right? So there's some examples, prefer vanilla approaches. And so, for example, did you know you could say details, summary, and then stuff below it and if you click the summary it'll expand the thing below it no I javascript no i didn't either no javascript well. <laughs> yeah how about that and then uh so they have a encouraged versus discouraged here's like import react user state from react create a details component which is an arrow function which returns a <laughs> a, a const of, of things and toggling the content and then you on click you like link like what then you export the detail. This is the import export I was railing against, right? Uh, so that's one. Prefer just if you can do it basic HTML or even basic JavaScript, like don't go over the top. And where possible, practice two, where possible, define default to defining styles and behaviors with inline attributes uh, with things like Tailwind or Tachyons. And you can use libraries like HyperScript and Alpine. And it says your yes, it does mean your HTML gets a little bit busier, but you don't have to go to three places to figure out what's happening. Okay. So, for example, it says encourage button on click this dot class list dot add background green. Okay. Discouraged. You have a results pane. It says click me, and then you have a CSS section that actually what happens when you do that changes the color to green. Then you have some JavaScript that gets it, and then when it's done, you set the the, the class, which then goes back to CSS. And these are usually mushed all over the place. And you're like, what is happening, right? Yeah. And it says you will notice the separation of concerns is kind of not <laughs> so much. Uh, awesome here. However, you should maybe consider the locality of behavior more than you should worry about separation concerns. And HTMX, Carson Gross has a nice essay on this. Like, yes, you might repeat yourself sometimes, but right there, you see everything that's happening instead of having it so spread out, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, All right next. Go ahead, Brian. I just wanted to comment. One of the th things that I like about this sort of model is um, is that I'm I'm learning I'm frequently learning like new web frameworks. Like I'm working on uh, learning Django and uh, and you know H Fast API and others. And a lot of times it's templating that I'm working on 
and to to understand how it's going to get output keeping the templates simple in like mostly html helps yes. um, helps with discoverability and learning something new so even if even if it isn't like a production thing later uh, but it might be um uh, starting out simple really helps with the learning process so yeah Oh, absolutely. And you also have to learn fewer things, right? Yeah. You have to learn three other frameworks and build tools and so on. All right. Another one is about uh, try to use libraries. If you got to use libraries, try to use ones that leverage HTML attributes over JavaScript and custom attributes. Like HTMX is a real a nice example of that. Um, to say disfavor build steps. So encourage the ability to say style sheet slash styles <laughs> slash, you know, it's st slash styles.css. Discourage distribute output npx CSS compile with a watch and then don't forget to run that. And then why is this not updating? You know, all these different things. And then finally, this one I think the HTMX is really relevant to Python folks, but also this one. Their example is Ruby, but it just as well could be any um the WTF forms. Is that what it is? I think it is. The the form builder type stuff. You see a lot of that actually in, in Django. It says prefer naked HTML to obfuscation layers that compile down to HTML. So you know just if you got a form, just write the write the form, put the values in it instead of, you know, form with and then form like label for this, form text field for that part of the model and, and so on, right? So anyway. And finally, preserve some some uh, view source for us all because it'll help everyone. But anyway, I I like this and I you know, it's interesting to think of as a philosophy. Yeah. Uh, the the build steps, they also reference like a whole bunch of people, how it used to be completely like, oh, you're such a noob if you want to skip having like a bunch of build tools along the way. But references four different articles and places where people are writing about like, you know what, we're done with this build stuff. We're just writing CSS. We're just writing JavaScript. We're going to go with that. So anyway, pretty, uh, pretty well backed up some of these ideas. Nice. And that's all of our main items. You can see there are tabs left for me, so that means I must have extras. But what about you? I do have extras. Do you want to go through yours since they're up, or do you want to? Sure, let's do it. All right. So first of all, Vincent Warmerdam uh, says, "Hey, a new Pi data location, Pittsburgh." So there's a call for proposals at Pi Data Pittsburgh. Let's see when does it. Hopefully, it's not over. <laughs> So yeah, so uh, if you want to speak, if you're in the general Pittsburgh area or you want to be, then check out Pi Data Pittsburgh and go submit some talks there. It let's say when this is going to be surely April, okay, April 11th, I guess. Anyway, check it out and you can uh, submit a talk there. That's pretty cool. I uh, just want to bring out one more example. You know, I Brian, I riff on or I I rip on uh, the the ad space and i say look we should run ad blockers we should we should not support these people and i know some folks are out there like well but then you're not supporting creators you're not supporting uh the small folks who have google ads on their site or whatever and i don't know i just i think the trade-off is is not really worth it so i just want to point out one more example of like terrible stuff that's happening so our own oregon senator uh ron wyden uh started investigation because a data broker who gets data from you know all these these different sources like ad retargeting stuff used abortion clinic visitor location data because their endpoints were not blocked by <laughs> some sort of dns block or something wow. to help send targeted misinformation to vulnerable women how terrible right yeah awful <clears throat> so yeah. i think we all should just stand up to Stand up to the like uh, the retargeting, remarketing. Like and we don't has, have to. That has nothing to do with trying to make money for content creators. 
Yeah, I know. Except for that, the the data flows into these shady places, right? Yeah. And then they then you know they already have it. So instead of trying to sell them shoes, like let's let's do something terrible <laughs> like that. So yeah. All right. Yeah. Anyway nextdns.io folks okay call for proposals is also open for a very uh, close nearby scipy 2024 which is awesome this will be in tacoma brian just a short hop and a skip up i5 north from us that'd be fun yeah so july 8 to 14th uh i wish i could make it but i am already tied up uh hanging around the house my wife is traveling for work at that time and um somebody has to stay with the dog and the kid so uh, i'm not going to this i have but a feeling that's the same time frame as oregon country fair so i probably can't either yeah but anyway there's a lot of people out there who can and a call for proposals are out but you must act you must act soon you have exactly seven days to get this ish depending on when you listen but as i speak you have about seven days to get your talk proposal in so please go and do that so right, over to you for february your, 27th yeah. is that and time. Okay. Yes, thanks. A handful of topics. Um, uh, PyTest 8.01, uh, 8.0.1 is out. Um, and why is this important? One, it's the first bug fix um, since 8.0 came out, and it has the bug that bugged me. So uh, the there was a there was a regression where um, if you parameterization would go backwards uh, for some reason. <laughs> so yeah, I we meant, talked about that before. That's cool. Yeah, so that's that's fixed. Um, so I've got it uh, updated to 8.01 everywhere I'm using PyTest. Okay. Uh, next, um, uh, if you'd like to understand. Uh, dependency injection. Um, Pinnick has a new video out, um, loose coupling and dependency injection, the easy way. And uh, I really like the the dude and I like what he's doing up on YouTube. So um, that's fun. Plus dependency injection is not as complicated as it sounds and, uh, and he'll show you. But, um, but I freaked out the first time that People were like, oh, fixtures, they're kind of like dependency injection. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> they are kind of like dependency injection, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had a uh, a guest, Nicole, on uh, Python test recently. This hasn't been aired yet. But when we were, we were talking about something completely different, and I mentioned uh, all of the rust that's coming into the Python community, and and I said, but, I mean, I want to try to learn rust, and uh, but I don't have a lot of time. And she said, oh. And we had the same problem at my work, so I wrote a tutorial. So there's uh, yar.fyi. Uh, yar is yet another Rust resource. But the, the uh, idea... Pirate-friendly. Yeah, pirate-friendly. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a, a Rust tutorial, uh, but um, intended for people that already know how to program. They just don't know Rust. And um, so I'm kind of excited to jump into that. Um, okay, what else? Oh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for trying to ramp up interviews for Python people. So if there's, uh, if there's just some interesting stuff around the Python community that you'd like me to talk to, or if you'd like me to talk to you, uh, reach out. Um, and, uh, the first episode was Michael Kennedy. It was a good episode, but, um, Lots there's only fun. been 12 episodes so far, but I want to get more out. Yeah. <sighs> and oh, the, the last thing I wanted to know, there's, there's a, like, did, there's an interesting thing phenomenon out there. Did you know that there's people still using X? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I've seen them. There are many of them over there, actually. Um, I I have I am officially following zero people just to end it to just to like as a protest. I don't I don't really I I show up there about once a month to check my direct messages. So uh, if you um, 
if you want to contact me, I will probably reply to you eventually, but just warning, I'm not there very often. Anyway. Indeed, indeed. Awesome. Well, bunch of great items. How about we talk about some unfortunate architectural or vendor-based decisions as part of our joke here? Are you ready? Have you seen this joke? Did you look ahead? I have not looked ahead. I don't know what you're talking about. Beautiful. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Do the joke. So here we are. I got this over on Reddit. And of course, I zoomed it in. So why, you know, why are we using SAP again when there's this open source thing that is so much simpler? Or why are we using Oracle again for this? Because whatever. Yeah. So there's an angry team lead or something. Why did we end up with a solution? A couple of people are like, uh, cool savings, uh, time savings, maybe. And then someone like a hipster looking dude in the back is like, uh, the vendor sent me a Yeti tumbler. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they grab him and throw him out the window. Uh. Yeah. Why are we stuck with this crappy system that is like, whatever? Well, it's conference swag, basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the real answer is usually um, the best options were all free um, and we needed to have to pay somebody. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Well, none yeah. of them had an SLA, but it's like, but. Do you have a Yeti tumbler? I, I have one of these like soft Yeti uh, coolers. That we'll take if we go out camping or boating or something, but I don't have a tumbler. No, I don't believe so. You? I had to look it up. I didn't even know what this was. But oh yeah, Yeti. This is like the roll. Yeti is like the Rolls Royce of like hillbilly land. I guess. I don't know. They're like they're like super super um, nice coolers. If, if and, you want a thermos you know. for your coffee, but you don't want to spend ten dollars, you want to spend forty dollars, get a Yeti. Yeah. yeah. I'm like that. I, we have a lot of Yeti stuff, actually. It's really nice. I'm just joking. <laughs> Bougie. <laughs> uh, I mean, awesome. What if stuff got warm, Brian? What if it got warm? What if your beer got a little bit warm? And your mountains and your cores, they weren't blue anymore. They turned whatever color they're not when they're not blue. Whatever but, color they are when they're not blue. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like the core, no. one of the cores beer cans has a can that when it's like a certain temperature, the mountains on the, on the can turn blue. And if it's like too warm, they like turn white or something. I don't know what other color. Okay, so, so we had a couple problem. options. We could have made better beer or a better can. We chose a better can. <laughs> I mean, what do you see when you're shopping? Come on now. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Fun as always. Thank you for being here. And thank you everyone for listening. You. See y'all. Bye.